On a summer's day in the month of May, a burly bum come a hiking. He was walking down land through the sugar cane. He was looking for his liking. And as he strolled along, he sang a song of the land of Middle Canada. Hey there, this is the Sounds of the Trail podcast, a place where we talk about the ups, downs, and switchbacks of trail life. It's time for a hike. Where a bum can stay for many a day, and he won't need any money. Any hiker will tell you that when you get to the point where you actually have to go to a doctor, for real... That's a bad sign. <laughs> that means your whole world's about to come crashing down. So I took the train out to the orthopedic, and I seriously was just, I mean, I was so stressed out. I just wanted to throw up on myself. All I could imagine was my entire fate just, like, being decided by one stupid x-ray. And I made friends with everybody in the doctor's office, and they really cared about me hiking the trail, and... I showed them pictures I'd taken and told them about this podcast and explained what I was doing, I guess in hopes that it would make them tell me that my diagnosis was going to be so different just because I was so passionate about it and because I was really actually doing it and that nothing could stop me. And I, I just kept hoping that if I just kept telling them what I was doing, they'd say, oh, you're fine, don't worry about it. My doctor came in. And he looked at my x-ray, and then he said to me, simply, don't tell me what's wrong. Put your, Give me your foot. And I put my foot up. And he put his thumb right on the exact spot and pressed it. And I just screamed at the top of my lungs because it was so painful. And he said, do you want to know how I know, knew exactly where that place was? Can I tell you what's wrong with your foot? And I knew what he was going to tell me. He said, your foot's broken. And I literally just started crying right then and there. <laughs> Welcome back to Sounds of the Trail. I'm your host, Gizmo. And this episode marks an important milestone for our podcast, as this is episode number 10. And we're really excited that we've reached this milestone. I wasn't sure when Kimchi and I decided to start this project that we would make it this far. And I'm really pleased that we have, and I'm really pleased that you all are listening. So thanks for tuning in. This week's episode is, as you might have guessed, about injuries. To get started, let's start with an excerpt from distancehiking.com. This is what distancehiking.com has to say. Injury probably ruins more long-distance hiking or through-hiking aspirations than any other single factor. This might sound a bit like speculation, but there's some truth supported by numbers. Distance Hiking's 2013-2014 survey of 1,000 38 long-distance hikers included a subset of 196 Pacific Crest Trail hikers who hiked at least 454 miles, intended to through-hike, but ultimately did not finish. When asked what the most influential reason was for not finishing, the most popular answer was injury. Is it a surprise to anyone that injury heads this list by a comfortable margin? After all, can any of us get out from behind a desk strap on a pack, and set out to hike 2,000-plus miles without expecting to encounter some growing pains? I think not. As the number one reason for disrupting a thru-hike, I think it's important to address the topic. And as it turns out, the subject of injuries is currently highly topical for this podcast and our contributors. In this episode, we will be exploring the subject of hiking injuries, the difference between walkable and non-walkable injuries, why an injury is so devastating, and what we can do to keep ourselves healthy. Let's hear some more from our injured and sort of depressed correspondent, Kimchi. Hey, this is Kimchi with Sound of the Trail, and this week I guess we're talking about on-trail injuries, which I can relate to pretty strongly because, as you guys all know, I found out on Thursday that I have a broken foot. On-trail injuries are probably one of the hardest things to deal with because you need your body to keep walking. 
Um, your body is the most essential part in keeping you on the trail, aside from your mind, which is a big one. And you need both your body and your mind to connect so you can keep walking the long distances that you walk on the trail. Walking at least 20 miles a day is mentally a pretty hard thing to do, uh, for sure, because you basically spend your entire day walking with no other distractions aside from what you're looking at. And when you're trying to do something like 20 miles a day, it's not really like you have a whole lot of time, unless you're a super fast walker, which some people are, to sit and sort of pay attention to what's around you um, in the sense that you would in normal life. It's not like when you walk through the park and you're hanging out and you can smell the flowers, or it's not like going to the lake to go for a swim. It's, I mean, you're on a regiment, so you kind of got to keep going and you got to keep pushing. And the only times you're going to stop are doing stuff like eating or peeing or <laughs> usually something that you have to do. And sometimes you will take a longer break during the day to sit and just kind of look around and enjoy a place that you're at. But ultimately, you know, in your brain, you got to keep going. So walking for that long, you need your body to be at its best. And everybody who is doing a through hike or has done a through hike knows that there's always some setback. There's something. It's always something. It's always something on the trail. It's your feet are killing you. You have blisters that are oozing pus. You have a knee problem. Um, your hips hurt really bad. Your shoulders are getting rubbed raw by your pack. There's always something. And when you finally surpass one bit of pain, there's always something else looming around the corner. You just kind of grow to accept the pain that comes with hiking. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that your body is literally telling you it doesn't want to do that many miles a day. Not not everybody can relate to this. Uh, there are the few, few people who just kind of crush it. Uh, the people who do so many miles and, and don't seem to have any pain. And those are the people that I just, I wish I, I, God, I wish I was one of those people. But most of us, I would say a larger percent of a, a larger percentage of us have that kind of looming, <laughs> looming pain. Uh, so when you actually get injured for real, it's an interesting thing because your body is telling you that it's in pain and your brain is saying, okay, fine, 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 fine. I'll stop. I'll stop and take a little rest. But then you keep pushing forward. And when you have an actual injury, there's no pushing forward. So, an actual injury. What makes something an actual injury? I got kimchi on the phone this week and asked her to expound a little bit more on this for us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that I think there definitely is a, a varying degree of what is real like an actual real bad injury and what your body is going to try and heal itself, um, i.e. a not real injury, <laughs> you know, it's like there are definitely, I, I noticed for sure that something was wrong because even though my brain was prepared to hike through a lot of pain, my body literally wouldn't let me do it. Um, and I think that's like the main difference. Like your body is really telling you that it can't keep doing this. And with a, with like an atypical injury or an injury that's not, I don't want to say a real injury because, you know, but not a serious injury. Your body is, is, is still willing to fight the good fight and it can still be on the mend because it's still healing itself while you're walking. But yeah, when it's, when something's hurt for real, your body definitely lets you know. And, um, and that was hard to deal with, I think, on the trail, just because so many people kept being like, well, you know, like, suck it up. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I'm like bleeding out of my eyeballs when I'm still walking. You know, you have stuff like that all the time. <laughs> Where you're just like, okay, well, that's great. You know, I, I can keep going and I'm going to. And then one day you're like, I really can't keep going. I'm in pain. I can't walk. And you have the realization that if you don't stop and you keep going, then you're ultimately not going to be able to complete the hike because you're going to ultimately have to stop. So, I mean, I, unfortunately I learned that the hard way last year on the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, 
before I saw you in Sierra City, I like I feel like no one really believed me that I was hurt. And then I found out that I pulled my groin muscle pretty much 400 miles before that and was like basically blowing my IT bands. But honestly, I I hiked through a lot of pain, and the pain was agonizing. I mean, it was it was really hard for me to wake up every morning. And I think I mentioned this when I sent that recording to you. The biggest the biggest thing for me that made me realize that for serious I was hurt was even when I was laying down to go to sleep, I was completely, I was just in so much pain. I'd see white lights in my head and I couldn't sleep. And when I try and wake up to go pee or anything like that, it was just brutal. I mean, I, in the morning, it would take me so long to get myself up because I was in so much pain and I'd try and stretch and I was just trying to take care of it. And I just, no matter what, like nothing was getting any better. And I remember when we were going to South Lake Tahoe, that day I woke up and I tried to go ahead of everyone like I was normally doing so that way they could catch up and pass me. And I went ahead and I saw Scottish Lynn, who is an older older woman that was on the trail. And I, she's slow. And I couldn't keep up with her. She looked at me and she was just like, I think you need to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And she's like, yeah, you're stubborn. You're going to wind up not being able to walk. You probably should take a break. And when we got down to South Lake Tahoe, I just kept saying to myself, this isn't happening. Like, I'm not getting off the trail right now. It's not happening. It's not happening. And, you know, I went out and got drunk with all, with all my friends that I was with and realized that even when I was drunk that I could still feel the extreme pain that I was in. And I just knew I had to take a break. So, taking a break. Taking time off trail is a hard thing for a thru-hiker but sometimes it really is the only option. Kimchi isn't the only one of our contributors off-trail right now. Sina, over on the Pacific Crest Trail, is on a parallel journey of injury management. I called her up this week to see where she is at. Perhaps you would just walk us through the timeline from injuring your foot to where you are now, like 30 seconds. Well, I already had a bit of tendonitis happening, I think it was. Like just going uphill, it, it was a little, you know, it would hurt on the top of my foot, but it was tolerable. And so I didn't really think of it. And I kept elevating my feet and kind of lowering the mileage just to kind of ease up a little bit on my body. And then, of course, you know, I don't even know how many miles in it was from the Tehachapi Highway. Um, I fell like on the second or third day after, you know, going into town. Um, and I still had like, 60 miles to go before the nearest road. I had to kind of just walk it out. And it wasn't too bad after the fall. The first day or two after the fall, it was annoying. But as long as I elevated my feet, you know, and in the mornings it was fine. But then that day that I had that meltdown, that was probably the the most painful uh, moment on trail so far. And now I'm just kind of racing it. I'm resting, icing, you know, compression, elevation, and taking anti-inflammatories, just taking it easy, being a sloth, basically, not doing much except for massaging it and doing light stretching just so it doesn't become too stiff. And it's it's gotten a little bit better, but it's been two weeks, you know, and it's now finally starting to – I'm finally able to – kind of put weight on it whereas before I wasn't able to at all so um yeah uh do you have any specific questions about it or I still don't know what's wrong exactly I I think it's tendinosis which is a more severe tendonitis basically and I'm a little worried about that because that's a six to ten week healing period as opposed to tendonitis which is anywhere from like one to four weeks that's a tough diagnosis yeah, it's completely different. It's like one's a trail, you know, a kind of a deal breaker, and the other one's like, well, I could do that, and I could still get back on trail. Maybe skip a section of it. I imagine it's been a pretty big roller coaster. It really has. I've been to within 48 hours of getting to Ridgecrest. I'd already seen a doctor. I got a cortisone shot. You know, I took action right away because I wanted to get back on trail right away, but the cortisone shot didn't do anything. That was with a podiatrist, and then x-rays around here are just, you know, it's a small town, Ridgecrest, so it's hard to find cheap, because I'm paying out of pocket, medical places. So I finally found a chiropractor who was able to do x-rays. I wasn't really worried about it too much. It didn't feel like a stress fracture, 
or anything, you know, skull like with the bones. It just felt like a tendon. But I got a referral from him for an MRI, which I got, and that became inconclusive because they messed up on, you know, the, the images. Yeah, so I still don't know exactly. They say that it's probably tendinosis. Probably. Probably. You know? What a horrible yeah, word. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, tell me what it is. I just need to know because I need to know when I can get back on trail or if I need to make other plans. So, yeah, I'm going to get another MRI because they messed it up. They said they would do another one. And it is starting to get better. So I think I'm going to go on a treadmill for like five minutes or at least until – unless my body says no before them, like five to 10 minutes and just do little intervals and see how my body deals with that. And then I'll consider my backpack, you know, adding that on. But right now I can walk for maybe a quarter mile before it starts hurting. So that's not a good thing. How has the rest of your body dealt with being off trail from going suddenly to being Hiking oh, all the time. Oh, sitting. my God. I'm going insane. You have no idea, Gizmo. I'm about to shoot someone. I just, you know, my friend is here. I'm staying at a friend's house, and she works out a lot. And I'm just, like, sitting there with my foot up and icing it. And I just feel, I think I gained, like, 10 pounds in two weeks because <laughs> I'm still kind of, like, on a calorie high. Like, I'm just eating all these calories, but I'm not doing anything. So I just, it's I'm going bonkers. I really miss the trail and I just want to move, but the rest of my body is fine. You know, mentally I'm totally ready to go, but it's the foot. And, you know, some people are like, well, if you really, really want to do it, you just power through it. I'm like, I'm not going to risk permanent damage, you know, just because of this. Not only that, it's no longer enjoyable. And I'm not about the miles. I'm about the trail and the beauty and the people. But if I'm, Whenever I'm in pain, I'm basically a bitch. So, like, I probably wouldn't make any friends on the trail, you know, if I'm just in pain the entire time. So, it's well, just not worth it. Yeah, I think that's a sort of a funny characteristic of a through hike is that uh, you do have to push through a lot of discomfort on the trail. I think everyone has to deal with some discomfort. And it's really hard to tell what's the line between discomfort and a real injury. And it's yes. really easy to judge someone else's discomfort oh absolutely it really is for me the fact that I could barely move my foot and it was just ginormous you know and I I it was pretty obvious for me because I heard a pop as well when I fell so um but you know for some people you know mentally they're ready to go and they just keep pushing past it and it's not worth it and but some people worry about it too much and they go off anyway even though they could have healed within a week you know? So. Yeah. Well, that's also another consideration. I think it's really hard for people to stop walking and to, to take the time, even if it's just a week, which sounds ridiculous to people who aren't hiking, right? Like a week yeah. is not a big deal, but it is a big deal. And, and sometimes you'd be better served by taking that week earlier and then not having to take a month later, but other times you can push through it. You know, I had like IT band problems when I started hiking for a long time and it probably would have healed faster if I'd stopped, but I was able to walk through it. It was usually worse for the, oh, I don't know, the last five miles of the day. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But it's That's... funny because you talk about going uphill as this, this horrible thing, which is funny because for me it was downhill. I just could not do the downhills. For the uphill, knees. Uphill the was knees. okay. Yeah. I, I, I never thought I would dread downhills so much. But yeah, everyone has their different things. I've met people who just love running uphill. And I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to find your own ways to enjoy your hike, for sure. I feel like around this point, around the 600 and, well, from like 585 to the, right around before Kennedy Meadows, like I'm 40, 48 miles short of Kennedy Meadows, Meadows right now. A lot of people, a lot of tendonitis. That's like one of the main things that's flaring up with a lot of people is tendonitis. And what's the one PF? What does that stand for again? Do you remember? Do you know what I'm talking about? Plantar fasciitis? Yes. Yes. That one too. A lot of people I, that I've met um, and on Facebook that I've noticed a lot of people are talking about is that one. Yeah. So. If you're a hiker and you think you have plantar fasciitis, I my best advice to you is do not Google that. 
Because you will convince yourself you have it no matter what. (laughs) You will be convinced. Don't do it. Oh, Googling it is the worst. WebMD, I just jumped to the worst case scenario. So yeah, definitely. No no Googling. I stopped. (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) So uh, now that you're looking at a possible diagnosis that, I mean, what were you Mm -hmm. saying? It was like a six to 10 weeks recovery time? Yeah, they said possible extensor and flexor tendinosis, but it says possible, you know, and I don't know. They're saying partial tearing. It's, it's difficult to see it, but it could be possible. But there's no, like, gross tendon tears, which is good. That's really encouraging. It really is, especially because now in the last 48 hours, for some reason, I've been feeling a lot better, whereas before there was no change. Yeah, I might have to, I I don't know. I at least want to finish the desert. I don't know. It's just so frustrating. It's like Kennedy Meadows is right there, 48 miles. <laughs> it's right there. I can, like, almost taste it, you know? Almost and there. I have, yeah, and I set a stove there and everything. So I'm like, maybe I should just, you know, try and hike. But, again, it's the healing thing. I do want to think about myself. Uh, but time is running out. I feel like if I do, even if I have to wait another week or 10 days, I'm going to be like the last person in the desert. What's your sort of outlook if you, like, let's say you get back a more official diagnosis and it's the worst case scenario. And they say, you need to stay off of this for 10 weeks. What would be your thought process? Um, I have to start thinking about a plan B, meaning, you know, I only have so much money and I don't have a place to stay. I'm staying at a friend's house. But, you know, she has her family, and I've already been here for almost two weeks. I mean, you can only stay at a friend's house for so long, you know, before you outstay, you're welcome. So, for me, it's it's getting back to work, basically. If it's going to be six to ten weeks, I I have to think about that. I don't have endless amount of funds. Otherwise, I would just wait it out and then maybe skip to Oregon or something. So, Do you think you would still try and get back on trail this year? This year, no. Uh, because once I get a job, I mean, that's it. Yeah, if it's six to ten weeks, I don't know. I can't. I can't afford that. I mean, I'm, yeah, not with the medical bills that are coming in, so. That's tough. Yeah. Yep. You, sound, you sound surprisingly cheerful. I'm, you know, it's, it's, you have to be. Otherwise, you just want to cry. I mean, I already went through periods in the first week where I was just assuming, you know, worst, I was Googling things. I was doing <laughs> You Wait, did it. You Googled it. I did. I did. And I'm hearing about torn and rupture tendons and, you know, whatever. And and I did. I did go through, like, the the things where I was just like, well, I don't know what it was. The mystery of it made me just have to start thinking about a plan B. And I started putting out feelers and seeing what, you know, I could possibly do um, should I need to get a job. So there's no point in being depressed about it. I mean, I'm sure I'm going to be crying about it and... It's, if anyone reads my blog, I was venting for days, and I was just so fed up with myself. I was like, if any, I'm pretty sure everyone's fed up with me right now and hearing about my foot. So <laughs> enough is enough. You know, no more pity party. Just do what needs to be done. You know. Yeah. I mean, what else can you do? I know, and I'm going to miss you, and I'm going to miss doing the podcast stuff. I was getting really, I don't know, I really enjoyed doing this and it's been amazing experience but again i haven't given up totally yet you know it's about 50 50 right now so it could go either way in my opinion i don't know what would you do i think i think it would be really hard for me i think about so on the the very first day that i was on the trail so dirt nap and i got dropped off in campo we we stopped at the gas station to get like a burrito or something Mm-hmm. Um, before we got on the trail and there was a guy sitting out front with a pack at the picnic table mm-hmm. and I was like well I don't know how this whole like through hiker etiquette thing works because we we didn't know how it worked but I was like you know like are you hiking the PCT mm-hmm. and he was like well I was um you know I I started hiking I got dropped off this morning by my wife but I have back problems and I really thought I'd be able to do it but I hiked for about three hours and realized I could not do this. I can't carry a pack. And so I walked back here and I'm waiting for my wife to come back and pick me up. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, what if that's me? 
And I just was <laughs> was trying to imagine, like, gosh, like, what if I have to come back on my first day? Like, what will what will I tell everyone? I will be so right? shamed. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and your body, like, in some ways, were so strong, but it doesn't take much to take you down. And I think that was something I worried about the whole time. It's like, yeah. gosh, all I have to do is like trip and like fall on my face and gash my head open. And next thing I know, I'll have to get picked up by a helicopter and taken home and my hike will be over, <laughs> which I only bring up because I, you know, this happened to somebody that I met. And so, oh, no. and so you're like, every step you take is full of hazards and you take like four to six million steps to complete this trail. Yeah. Um, so you have to sort of calm down. I don't know. You just have to to listen to your body and see like, is this something that I think I can walk through or is it not something I can walk through? And, yeah. and you know, like my trail plans had to change about halfway through because of the forest fires and not because of, of my own body. And so there's always going to be something. I mean, you try and plan for everything, but you can't, and you just have to at some point accept what you have and see if you can learn something and make the best of it. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I did so much preparation for this. It's so funny because I know a few people, you know, before you start the PCT, you almost start bonding with certain people. Like I was talking to other people that were also prepping and we were sharing gear lists and talking about gear and, you know, what are they using for this? And I had a few friends who really didn't do much prep. I mean, I logged like 1,200 miles last year of hiking. I would hike almost every day. Wow. Um, yeah. And, you know, I did like wilderness first aid classes and CPR and, you know, compass map and reading, you know, compass and map reading classes. Um, I mean, I did everything and everyone's like, you you got this, you know, and then this, and of course I'm probably one of the slower ones, but that's because I just take my time and I'm not like pressuring myself to do stuff. But some of these people, they're making it, you know, and you never know. You never know if you're going to be that person that, you know, falls like me. It's how you get back up, I think. And doesn't mean that's the end of it for me. I would like to think, I just wish it was on my terms. I mean, I wish I was just like, Nope, I'm over this. Like I'm done hiking. And I'm, you know, I would have liked <laughs> to have it end like that. Not where it's like, no, I feel like I still have a little bit more to get out of the trail, but uh, it'll still be there. It'll be there waiting. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'm, like, yeah. starting to get sad now thinking about it. It will still be there. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, wait, this was my year, you know? I don't know if there is any way to have getting off trail not be a hard thing. Walking through injuries is also hard, though. Over on the Pacific Crest Trail... Par 3 interviewed a hiker named Redwood, and they discussed walkable and non-walkable injuries, as well as dealing with pain. So let's hear what they have to say. Hey, this is Par 3, checking in from Sounds of the Trail. We are at Sonora Pass, mile 1010. We're up on the volcanic ridge that runs for the, about 12 or so miles before highway, uh, the highway that runs through Sonora Pass. It's transitioned pretty quickly here into uh, a volcanic uh, environment which is much different than the granite we've been going through for most of the Sierras and it's what a lot of people call the end of the Sierras and the beginning of NorCal which is pretty exciting. We've hit the quadruple digit point today which is also exciting even though it's just a few rocks on the trail that say a thousand it makes us pretty stoked. So this week's episode is on injuries so I had to deal with a pretty bad injury last year and I've got my buddy Redwood here, who has dealt with an injury this year on and off, most recently through the high passes of the Sierras, and he's going to talk a little bit about that. Redwood, why don't you introduce yourself, tell them where you're from, stuff like that. Hey, what's up guys? I'm, uh, I'm Redwood, here on the west coast from Boston. I'm a painter, and this is my second through hike. I'm here to talk about a little injury I had. So when do you think it started? Could you pinpoint it? I'd say 40 miles after Kearsarge is when it uh, it really, really hit the sh hit the fan. So really, kind of in the middle of it. Yep. Yeah. Just knowing that I had so much time ahead of me to walk and it wasn't worth it to go back was kind of scary at first. But once you accept it, it it just 
you just kind of feel like a badass and you just power through it. <laughs> so this, a little background, we had just left Kearsarge for a 120 mile stretch. We were going to go straight through to Mammoth, which we ended up doing. Uh, it took us about a week and this happened probably day two, maybe day three. Yeah. This is was also the most difficult part of the trail, which might have had a contributing factor. So, hose tolling never helps. What do you think? <laughs> what could you? What were a few reasons why, or do you think that caused the injury? And what was the injury? Well, it was a it was a shin splint, something that most of us through hikers have dealt with at one point or another. I think I think it was mainly just the uh, the amount of exertion and. The uh, the post holing on the north sides of all the passes because we uh, we were there just after a big storm, I think that really exacerbated the issue. It's a funny thing about injuries; we never really know exactly why they happen a lot of the time, especially overuse injuries, which is a lot of what through hikers deal with. My injury was an IT band issue, and I didn't even know what an IT band was when I left last year, much less when I hurt it. I had no idea what was going on; I just knew that my knee hurt a lot. My injury, I guess I'll go into that. It started about right here last year at Snore Pass. I uh, ran through a couple storms, which is no fun, and kind of, I'm guessing the adrenaline masked a little bit of the injury as it was happening, but I just remember one day thinking my knee kind of hurt, and the next day it was worse. I, about 18 miles past Sonora Pass, I realized that I was completely screwed and had to turn around. So I limped my way, thank God I had trekking poles back to the road, and I hitched home and ended up taking a few weeks off, which was painful in itself. I mean, when you're sitting there waiting and knowing your friends are getting further and further ahead and the summer is running out day by day, it's pretty excruciating mentally. So the other, I mean, the, I think injuries are pretty physical, but the hardest part for me was the mental part of it. And how was yours mentally? What did it cause you to kind of go through? Well, at first, you know, I mean, you you feel so bummed that you can't, like, reach your potential, I guess, or, like, do what you would normally do. That 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 can put a damper on things for sure. And I think a big part of uh, dealing with injuries on trail is just overcoming that and uh, not letting it affect your mood or anything. You know, just taking in your surroundings one moment at a time and going through it and just loving every second of it, even if you're injured, you know? it's It's hard, but... I think that's the goal. It's definitely a test mentally. You go, it's when something's reminding you every half second that you're hurt and that you shouldn't be doing what you're doing and your body ends up really hating you, it really is a test of will at a certain point. I'm I'm not saying that you should walk through injuries. It a lot of times makes yeah. it worse. Sometimes you just have to. Sometimes you no have choice. no choice. And other times, certain injuries, shin splints are sometimes one of them. IT band are definitely one of them. Once it gets to a certain point, it stops getting worse, and you can walk through the injury. And you walked through it, essentially. Um, yeah, but it, it didn't really stop getting worse the, the whole time. I feel like, I don't know, maybe I reached a plateau at the end, but it's hard to say. Yeah, that time off definitely helped. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm grateful it, uh, it healed the way it did. Yeah. No, that, I, that is, it's, it's a bummer, and it strikes anyone at any point you can never tell who's going to get an overuse injury and they're a lot different from those freak accidents you know a fall a cut that that's a mistake i mean not necessarily one that you could prevent but it's, it's like it's, a boo-boo it's a boo-boo yeah but when you have an overuse injury you know that you've got a long way to go and your body is just starting to deteriorate in certain spots and i know i've been feeling it recently my knees have been really creaky and achy at night and I can just feel it kind of breaking down which really is no fun at all like I think you were starting to say there there is there's got to be a positive side to the injury you know oh yeah no I think injuries are one of those things where if so much physical pain can just honestly make you feel alive uh, not even in like a sadistic sense it's just one of those you know things that really carves out more space in you for for other things you know it forces you to it's almost like a daily exercise of making yourself appreciate the trail <laughs> yeah you kind of minute by minute have to remind yourself instead of just getting lost in the boredom right which i think happens to a lot of us a lot you're really forced to confront why you're out there and why you're doing something that's so painful 
and <laughs> feel so wrong, but you have no doubt in your mind that you're just going to keep going. Um, yeah, it's like, oh, I'll take a zero, I'll be set. <laughs> and those, how many moments did you think, like, what you would do to get rid of that injury? And they're, like, horrible things. Uh, yeah, like, there were some, some pretty despicable thoughts going on. <laughs> <laughs> you just, like, it's the one thing in the, like, if Genie appeared and gave you one wish, it would be, please just fix my knee mm. or my shin or my hip or whatever it is. But that moment when it finally feels better or those days when it starts getting better, they're... I mean, it's an amazing feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Once you can just hike to your potential again, it's just, it's incredible. <laughs> and it's, it's another, euphoria almost. Yeah. Yep. And it's a lesson that you've learned that the trail is really a mental, mental battle. No doubt. It's physical on a certain level, but mostly mental. Hours pass and my feet start to hurt. Often in this situation, I think of Chantal Mauduit. In my youth, I learned from the stories of the beautiful Himalayan alpinist to speak as she did to my toes. I cheer them up, and well, it works. As I contemplate the rock, as I climb, I rediscover a certain freshness in my perception of things, a naivety that makes us see beyond and transform what seems to be. Okay, so that very last clip is actually from a rock climbing video, not from a thru-hiker, but I felt it was applicable. Like Par 3 said, so much of thru-hiking is a mental thing. To me, I see a thru-hike as something with two sides. Its first side, and I think the side that people think of first, is that a long hike is a sojourn in the wilderness, a time to be, yourself, in the natural world. The second side is as a physical endeavor, as hard, taxing work done by your body. Most thru-hikers find themselves turning from one side to the other, perhaps facing more one way or more the other. You can see this tension in the spectrum of thru-hikers, with ultramarathon runners averaging more than 50 miles a day competing for speed records, and then in section hikers, people who complete the trail in pieces, slowly, savoring the experience without the constraints of a single summer hiking season. In general, thru-hikers learn to find the balance that brings them the things they are looking for out of their experience, learning to love life on the trail. Which is why getting off is so hard. Kimchi and I discuss this a bit. Why do you think getting off the trail is so devastating for a thru-hiker? What about it is is so difficult? There's so many, so many things. I think any anybody who through hikes will tell you this. Once you really get into the rhythm of the trail, which takes a long time, um, it does. You know, on the Pacific Crest Trail, it took me almost 700 and something miles to really have a real rhythm and feel comfortable and confident in my physical ability on the trail. And on the Appalachian Trail, it didn't take me that long, uh, but it took some time. I mean, it took me about 200 miles for me to really felt like, you know, feel like I was home and feel like I was mastering it and feel like I was honed into it and that's just the physical aspect of it. The mental aspect, you just become, I mean, it is your home. That's where you live. You are so grateful every single day, even in the crappiest moments. You know, it can be pouring down rain on you and you're getting bitten by 80 million bugs, but you you have the awareness that you're free and you have the awareness that you have to walk every day and that's all you really have to do. You just have to survive and you have to filter your own water and you get to eat around a campfire and you get to sleep outside and you wake up outside. And I mean, there's really nothing like that. And there's a reason why people through hike. Um, it's because you finally get to be in sync with nature. And so when you, when you physically feel good, uh, even despite all the pain and agony that you have and you mentally feel good and the mental part, man, when you really get to that mental part where you're just grateful every single day, even when you're angry and hungry and in pain, it's like, there's nothing like that. I have yet to really fully experience that in the so-called real world on a daily on a daily level, like on a daily basis. You also have this goal in your mind that you've been saving for financially, um, you know, and you know this, you you have a real job, but like getting the time to do a through hike is no easy task for most people in the world. It doesn't 
it's not like some great thing drops out of the sky and says, hey, go be rich and go live on the trail for five or six months. It doesn't work that way. It's it's something that you work really hard to have. And when you have to get off the trail, it's a big deal. You're losing your home. You're losing your entire reality. You're losing the entire family you've just built and friends that you've just built. And you can't, you might not be able to reach the goal that you're trying to reach because, you know, there's also a, a time limit for through hiking and that's because of the weather. So you essentially, like everything you've worked towards is basically jeopardized <laughs> and uh, you have to return to, I don't know how I'm lucky. Like I got to come back to my family, but some other through hikers don't even have that. They don't, it's like they don't have a home. They don't have something they can return back to. They don't have financial means usually to take care of themselves if they've gotten off the trail because that's, that's what you've been planning for. And uh, I guess a lot of people would say that's stupid to do something so frivolous and, you know, maybe so, like, not well planned for. But that's what most of us are doing in general. So I, I think that's I think that's the biggest part. I actually have a theory about it. What's that? About why it's so difficult for people to get off the trail. And I think that's because as humans, we're just sort of engineered to really like a couple things. And one of them is a clear direction in our lives. And another one is like this visible sign of progress. And every day you're on the trail, you have a clear direction. I mean, it's, it's an actual direction, right? If you're going south, it's south. If you're going north, it's north. You're like, where are you going? You know your purpose and your direction in life every single moment of every single day. And every step you take, you're making progress on your goal. And so you take that away from somebody, you've, you've removed their purpose in life and their direction, and you've eliminated the hiker's ability to make progress as well. I think that's a, I just, that's my I theory. think that's a great theory. Uh, and I think that holds true for probably 90% of through hikers. So for me, like the direction is one thing and my path is one thing, but you know, even when the trail ended last year, I remember a lot of people were saying like, oh my God, what do I do now? I'm lucky in that sense that I don't feel like my path has been taken away or my direction, but man, just my communion, my daily communion with nature, just the, the peacefulness that I have out there. And, and honestly, the brotherhood that I found was so intense this time around. And I, it was hard to have to leave my friends. I cried. <laughs> and uh, it was very, very, and then of course that's the first thing you're like, oh my God, my life is over. And then you realize, oh my God, everything is logistics. The trail is freaking logistics. So you just make it work logistically in a way that it can work. Speaking of logistics and making things work, let's hear a little bit more from par three. So now we'll get into a little bit of how logistical stuff, how do you prevent injuries? What do you do when you have one? The number one thing in my book, which I think none of us do enough, is to stretch. And we realistically should be stretching multiple times a day. Amen. Every morning, every I night. Don't at all. And I, it's hard. I mean, it's it's the last thing you want to do when you're about, you just get to camp and you've been walking all day. But it's really a must, and it prevents a lot of overuse injuries with your ligaments and your muscles, um, loosens up your joints. It just it helps a lot and it was it's also one thing you can do when you do get injured to help it a lot is to slowly work it out stretch it um especially those ligament tendon issues like the achilles shin splints it band you really have to be dedicated and i really didn't start seeing an improvement in my knee and my it band until i started stretching almost at least twice a day for a good half an hour um I know for the IT band, there are a few specific stretches you can do. Um, lifting your knee up over your side towards your head while you're on your back. And then for the shin splint, you just need to move it back and forth, I know. Um, did you f use any stretches or massaging techniques? or? Um, yeah, I kind of massaged my shin, like, like kind of massaged the, the muscle back onto the bone, if you know what I mean. That was a big one that actually felt really good every time pulled on the toes a little bit and did like a, a calf stretch type thing which I found was pretty helpful but really like the most helpful thing for me was when I got into town I could just ice it and 
alternate icy and warm and icy and warm, and that, that really did it. Did you find a certain way of walking helped the pain or changed it or improved it? Um, to be honest, I, I just uh, learned to walk in slightly different ways, and then my pain adapted to to hurt me anytime. Because <laughs> that's definitely one thing you can change with while you're walking with the injury is your gait. I mean, your gait is always changing and yeah. it can cause issues but yeah. it can also help as long as alleviate. You're, not, you're not using like a really unnatural gait for too long mm-hmm. as long as you're just i guess switching them up pretty consistently like this morning i felt my hip starting to tighten up on my it band so i kind of realized that i was stretching my it band which runs down the outside of your hip from uh top of your hip to your knee and it's a ligament um, and I could feel it kind of tightening up. So what I did was I tried to step on rocks or put pressure on the outside of my foot so that it was essentially stretching down on the IT band a little bit. And it kind of created tension along the outside of my leg. And after a few minutes of doing that, I could kind of feel the pressure lighten up. I mean, we were talking about how cool it was to be really, really good at walking. (laughs) I think that that's part of it, you know? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Learning to deal with the uh, obstacles that your body throws at you. It's definitely a big part of it. And listening to your body. I think that's the other thing. Besides stretching, biggest key is just listening to your body. When you feel something wrong, you'll know it's wrong. I mean, it won't be like a kind of annoying thing that you're just like, oh, that kind of sucks. You'll know pretty quickly that something's going on. You just have to do something to address it, whether it's walk differently or take some time off. But, like, ignoring it only works with the uh, the everyday little little pains that go away. And a lot of the times, the answer to listening to your body is to go ask a doctor what's going on. <laughs> I think there's a lot of self-treatment on the trail, which works sometimes and other times doesn't. I know when I, I took me a lot of guesswork to figure out what my injury was. I thought it was, first I thought it was an ACL or an MCL thing. And then I thought it was my meniscus because it was just all over the front of my knee was inflamed. But it turned out that that injury to my knee was a secondary injury to my IT band. So it took quite a bit of time for me to realize that before anything came of it. And then I could address it. So the pain itself, how did you deal with it? Like what did you use to alleviate it did you use ibuprofen music a lot of the times people talk about yeah music yeah music for sure and i just try to just focus it on everything positive that i possibly could like my stunning environment the fact that it could be worse you know just pretty much everything that was not the worst (laughs) just trying to stay positive and not letting the injury dig too deep into your mental uh, your mental game yeah I I started a regimen of ibuprofen which is not the greatest thing but it helps and you just have to be careful you know you don't eat it on an empty stomach I've heard of that happening to hikers where they take too much ibuprofen over a few weeks in an injury and they end up getting an ulcer which is even worse almost (laughs) yeah music for me helped a ton and then, yeah, the stretching. The stretching actually alleviated pain as I did it, which was huge. It not only helped the injury in the long term, but it would help me in my day-to-days and pain management and stuff like that. Another benefit I also found was that I, would, I was forced. I'm usually a pretty quick hiker, and I usually like to hike alone because it's hard for me to change my pace to match other people. But when I was injured, I had a slower pace, and it, I ended up hiking a lot more with people and talking to friends And I think that that helped a lot, the social aspect of just trying to take my mind off of it and put it somewhere else. So with that, we'll uh, we'll wrap up our little talk here on injuries. I want to thank Redwood here. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully that shin splint's gone for good. Felt it today. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I felt mine too. No fun, but just listen to our bodies. We'll take a little rest. We're not hiking much more today, only about four more miles, which is nice. I also want to shout out to Sina and Kimchi. I wish you guys both the best in your recoveries, and I hope you get back to the trail soon. 
and I hope it makes you appreciate the trail even that much more and that you can gain something from this even though it seems pretty dismal right about now I know exactly how you feel and hope to hear that you guys are back out there and getting after it so with that this is part three at Sonora Pass signing off I think we've had a pretty good summary of the most common injury types for through hikers in this episode. Shin splints, tendonitis, IT band issues, plantar fasciitis, muscle pulls, stress fractures, blisters, overuse injuries mostly. For a long time on the trail, I felt like I had been possessed by a demon of pain. That's a little P pain, not a capital P. Just the constant aches and complaints from pushing my body much harder than it was used to but I could not seem to exercise my demon. If I managed to banish it from one part of my body, it would resurface in another. If my knees stopped hurting, my heel pain would come back. And for a lot of the trail, I felt like my body was made out of glass. Like if I tripped, my body would simply shatter to a thousand pieces. And I can't really say I walked most of the trail. I limped, minced, trudged, and hobbled, but I didn't walk much. That's the funny thing about thru-hiking, right? When your body is tough and worked and exhausted, you can keep walking. Before I wrap this up, though, one more thing. Perhaps you're thinking about how crazy and masochistic thru-hikers are, despite our protestations to the contrary. But let me provide a counterexample. Yesterday in Arizona was the first big rain of the summer the first rain to break up the big heat of 110-degree days and a sky that's blinding white with the heat of it. The thunderheads roll up in the sky like mountains or like gods, and then in a booming, blinding release, the sky opens, and the torrents of rain flood the earth, releasing the heat, sending the sharp smell of creosote ringing through the air, smelling like hope or maybe salvation. Here, we wait for the storms. Watch. Week after week as the temperature creeps up, an eye to the sky for the first thunderhead. Well, the storm came yesterday, the first one, but I missed it, stuck in a meeting in a windowless room. And isn't that just another kind of pain? A pain that we've allowed ourselves to stop feeling? Anyhow, that's all for this week. Sorry about some of the lower quality audio on the podcast this week. As always, remember to come on by to our website or Facebook page to say hi. We love to hear from everybody. I have a bunch of links at our website this week if you're interested in reading more about distancehiking.com, survey of hiker injuries, or if you're interested in watching mostly unrelated climbing videos. Until next week, this is Sounds of the Trail. Rock Candy Mountain, you never have to change your socks. And little streams of alcohol come a trickling through the rocks. All the railroad bowls at the tip of their hats, and the railroad bowls are all blind. There's a little lake of stew and a whiskey, too. You can paddle all around it in your big canoe on the big rock candy mountain. Oh, oh.